What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of BDE. I'm back. I've been out for a few weeks. Chuck's out. Um, heard that he was getting his prostate checked. So hey, He says he was going to Vegas to play in a high, big card game, but I think he was getting his prostate checked. You, you think this ongoing prostate thing might be contagious or viral or something? It must be. Know. It's in the water. You guys are together a lot, right? So Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely infectious. Um, <laughs> So this week, yeah, Chuck is at World's Oilman Poker Tournament, um, which you know, I don't have enough money to play in, so that's why I'm not up there. But then he went to a Shania Twain concert in, in Seattle. So, um, yeah, that's what I was like, Shania Twain, that's kind of random. He said his friend was opening up for her, though, so that, of course. that's why. But He's such a baller. It's good to be back on the show. Uh, it's good to it's have, good have you with, back. With, with, my two bros here. So what do we got going on in energy? Who's got the, who's got the rundown for us, Mark? I think revisiting Exxon's earnings from Friday will kind of segue into something else somewhat related, but you know, they, they had a pretty solid beat and it was only their seventh highest quarterly profit, even though the way the media has been treating big oils earnings over the last few quarters has been more about greed and record profits and, you know, um, I did see that. Actually, I had a tweet typed up. I was like, I'm proud of Exxon for having record profits. Like, celebrate capitalism. That's the point of a business is to, to make money. So, I mean, everyone's pretty nuts over how much money they make. But in comparison to Apple, what is it? Well, for the quarter, Exxon was around $11 billion in earnings. Apple, which I hasn't reported yet, at least last I looked, the estimates were about 2x that. So I guess as as Robert Reich tweeted um, after Exxon's report, they were raking it in at $11 billion and once again tried to connect um, corporate corporate profitability with uh, the cause of inflation. Uh, this is so, what I don't even like, don't even look at Apple as a whole company. Look at AirPods, the business. And this isn't earnings. This is uh, gross revenue. But in 2020, they had 23 billion in revenue from AirPods. Last year, they had 12 billion in revenue from AirPods. I mean, that's fucking insane. I mean, but when you think about it, what Exxon does is just bringing energy to the world. No big deal. Yeah. Apple brings enjoyment to the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, we couldn't charge those AirPods without energy, but screw that. I've actually it's, been, it's the only way I can understand I've that. I've actually been super disappointed with my AirPods lately. Like dude, AirPods used to be like, I used to like, dude, this is an amazing product. And for some reason, over time, my uh, enjoyment of AirPods has declined. I bought some AirPods and one of them like won't sync. And then, you know, they have the like, yeah, how to sync them. And then they don't. And yeah. then they're like, we'll change the and then, size. And then, and then they'll that change between your computer and your phone. It's terrible. Battery's dying. And so um, not a huge AirPod fan but i digress someone call them by the way speaking of exxon someone i do call steve jobs i do <laughs> i mean i think we need a seance for that but um <laughs> bust out the ouija board <laughs> but i will say um despite exxon's earnings did you see the sort of the viral video of the supposed tesla burning in their parking garage yes. oh yeah let's talk so i've got Kirk refuted it he had firsthand i've got the real scoop from an from a few of my exxon executive insiders okay first, this is get, get really some, what happened get some context first because this is what happened um this is actually going viral on twitter was someone posted that um a vehicle was on fire in exxon campus here um in houston up on the woodlands and showed a video of a car fire, but you can only see is outside the building. So you couldn't see what type of car it was, but they're like, oh, it's a Tesla. So what's the irony that a Tesla is burning up, you know, all these other ICE vehicles at Exxon. Now you have context. Well, so everyone thought it was a Tesla and it was a great story because everyone <laughs> wants it to be a Tesla, right? This is the reality and it's just so good. The fire was started at ExxonMobil from a dude smoking in his car, forgot to put it out, and he had gas tanks in the back of his truck. Jesus Christ. Laugh out loud. <laughs> so this You know is there's going to be a policy at Exxon now that's going to be very specific to that. <laughs> now, that makes sense to me. Not a te I mean, a Tesla burning up would be kind of funny, but yeah. it's some dude in his truck with gas cans, and he forgets to put his cig out. So I thought initially you said it was an e-cig. I thought it was. So we thought it was a vape and we started an anti-vape campaign. 
Vaping's <laughs> already lame enough. But. I think these were cowboy killers. I mean, just okay. true, so like maybe dude, no filter. Dragon Sig, he's got the Marlboros in the, in the truck, gas cans. That's bad. You know, on the Tesla irony thing, I don't know if y'all saw this video, but over in Europe, um, I think it's Europe. Or maybe it's Atlanta. I can't remember. The buffet. Same similar, thing. Right? Yeah. Um, oil protesters shut down the road, sitting in the road. You know how they do it. And they're sitting there and they're demanding that oil and gas, uh, we stop fossil fuel usage. And I mean, back up the entire highway, just fucking. I think this is LA. Hundreds, right? if not thousands of cars. I can't remember. I said Europe and Atlanta. There's a wide <laughs> gap in yeah. between there. So Could be LA, but wherever. whatever. But I saw it a couple of days ago. But the funniest thing about it is the two front cars in the line are Teslas. That's just like <laughs> the irony of this now is good. Right. It's getting it's good. So um, you're stopping these people from getting to work. And um, they're not one, of them, one of them was uh, trying to get to an interview. Mm -hmm. That Yeah, that was it. Yeah, she was complaining. Know, kind of make or break in terms of her yeah, being able to what she said. save she the world. Stay in her yeah, house. And it was a lady. She said she hadn't had a job in three months and she dude. had an interview and these people are blocking the road. So, um, yeah, I just found that funny with the, the irony of you're saying ban fossil uh, fuels and you're actually hurting people with Teslas. Uh, ask Pickering to tell you his parking lot or parking garage story about cars burning up at Intercontinental. This was a long time ago. Does he have one? <laughs> yeah, he came back to a Lexus that was burned to the ground. I think they were doing some construction work. At yeah, you know, I was talking- Intercontinental and though. Some people on Twitter were bashing EVs um, or because I said that EVs are a better product in certain circumstances than yeah. ICE vehicles. Like I would rather have an EV to, you know, traveling back and forth um, from work in the house in Houston. Um, and someone is like, yeah, except for, you know, they explode and catch on fire and showed them a video last year. My mom's Tahoe burned to the ground while she was driving it, like on the highway, starts Damn. smelling smoke. She barely got her, her dog out, her German shepherd, all of its hair burned off Oof. and burned to the ground. I'm like, look, like mechanical things. Maybe burn. someone, maybe we should invent some AirPods that run off gasoline. <laughs> Go kick on the <laughs> generator. To power up my AirPods. <laughs> oh, sorry, just, so I didn't mean to get you off track. You no, said Exxon okay. was going to be we'll a just, good segue into something. Just, What's a segue just button into? up. Um, you know, Exxon's earnings last Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a raft of BNP <clears throat> earnings coming up. You know, kind of one day of. Uh, of a pop of performance on good numbers, but today we're kind of back to the worries of banking, manufacturing weakness in China. It's it is the macro driving stock performance in the sector. Um, starting Absolutely. to see comments about softening prices on leading edge rig mm -hmm. fronts, uh, particular particular vulnerability in in the gasier basins, which we've been expecting to see. So, you know, stay tuned and and be careful trading them out there. Yeah. Uh, the Exxon Segway has to do with last week's announcement that Scott Sheffield is retiring again. Oh, yeah. Um, he retired in 2016. Um, he's now yeah. 70, I think close to 71. And I think, um, you know, prior prior to COVID, he had told the board that this was going to be for three years and ended up being almost five. And so with all this. Oh, did he tell him that? He I did. love Twitter because you never get context on like on stuff ever. Like, that. like the only takes you got was so he came out of retirement just for enough time to buy his son's company and then retire again. <laughs> yeah, and it was something about got in got into consolidation mode uh, in the midst of COVID with uh, parsley and I'm drawing a blank on the other significant deal, which is uh, but double eagle. Yeah, double eagle. That's right. Sorry, um, and so this this seven or eight month off ramp. His retirement will be effective the 31st of this year, December 31st of this year. That's the same, essentially, succession or transition that he had with Tim Dove back in 2016. And so. Um, yeah, be interesting. Do you, think, the, the, do you think there's real, I mean, what does that signify if there's rumors that Exxon's going to acquire him and then the CEO bounces or says that he's going to retire? Do you think. Dealey's a, a, his successor, Richard Dealey, is a, is a, P, essentially a PXD lifer yeah. um, and, and is a PXD culture yeah. guy. And I think very well known to the board. And so I think they're very, they're all very aligned yeah. on, on all of this. So I don't think it makes any difference. Yeah. I mean, we should celebrate Sheffield. I mean, he was uh, one of the first pioneering Permian Basin. So 
he went and took Pioneer to be one of the largest producers in the Permian. He was a big focus on shareholder value. So he really cut bad projects, really focused on uh, share buybacks and, and returning excess cash to shareholders. He was big on innovation. So my friend Shell, I mean, he was big about developing new technologies. Mm -hmm. I, I remember, I mean, Pioneer has always sort of been one step ahead of everyone else about new technology, not only being thought about, but being implemented in, in the oil patch, which is, which you, which is Sheffield 100%. And, and, you know, he's also in the Texas business hall of fame as of 2019. Oh, really? Well, he also literally took them around the world. If some, some may only know them as a Permian shale pure play, they were in Gabon, they were in Tunisia, they were in South Africa, they were in Argentina. They were in Alaska. I think they were in North Slope for a while too. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah. the merger with Evergreen put them in uh, Ruton based in CBM. Yeah. Many years ago. And then, you know, coming, I guess, back to their origins. Um, I'll say one of the largest producers of helium. Yeah. Which is another topic, but there's. Yeah. There's yeah. A, I was no, like, I, where I, are we going there? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think this is a natural continuation of, of what was in motion. And Absolutely. The uh, it's a very careful succession and handoff. So, so to 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 your question, I don't think it really. I don't matters. I, I don't think it matters that much. It's it's interesting to talk about. So speaking of Permian operators, um, Oxy unveiled their direct air capture project out in West Texas. Did you guys see this? It's yes. On sixty minutes. Was it on sixty I think minutes. Vicky was on sixty minutes. Damn. Was it last night? Can't I didn't see it. They didn't come on BDE. Um, <laughs> then it's so not important. It's not, um, you know, lots of friends out there. It's actually funny. Uh, this dude hits me up. He's a partner at lower carbon ventures, which is Chris Saka's yeah. BC fund. He's like, Hey dude. He's like, I met one of your friends, Moji. He was telling me all about digital wildcatters. want to link up. He's like, I have an extra day in Midland. He's like, I want to go see some infrastructure. So Oh, that's I, okay. I had one of my West Texas boys take him out to a LNG facility that's uh, also using Bitcoin mining to mitigate their flare. So, uh, but yet a lot of people in Midland for that. I saw some interesting commentary from one of my friends, uh, Mike Umbro, on Twitter. Had a you know, Mike Umbro's always got a lot of good opinions on things, but his opinion on this was. Last thing that the oil and gas industry needs to be focusing on is direct air capture and focusing on methane mitigation. Like if you're flaring any uh, methane, that needs to be priority number one. Um, thought that was an interesting take. I don't know. I don't have any data on Oxy's flaring and what they've done out in the Permian. Um, but y'all think direct air capture is like what? Where do y'all stand on that? So I'll just add one little detail from Umbro's tweet. He said, you know, instead of spending a billion on direct air capture, that'll essentially offset 200,000 cars. How about plugging Oxy's wells and, uh, you know, shut in wells or abandoned wells in California. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. um, there's, so you're, you're yeah. the direct air capture guy. Well, there's a couple things you said in that first is why not focus on methane emissions? The oil companies are scared. And they should, they rightfully should be, because as regulation comes down, the regulators will find more and more methane leaks. And um, I've found being in the business, especially investing in the business, you want to invest in things that can grow and become new business opportunities or generate profits, et cetera. You rarely want to invest in things that either increase safety or increase regulation. Like methane emissions is a big deal. But it's really hard for boards and for assets to invest in making it better mm -hmm. because it doesn't generate money. And so that's the reality. Now, direct air capture, let's move over to that technology. Well, let me yeah, you want we to, can push kind, of, we can kind of segue here because, I mean, direct air capture doesn't make money either. Um, <laughs> the, the way that it's monetized is through uh, financial engineering, which is carbon credits, right? And so well, that is, So that is a moneymaker. So, I mean, you could argue that long term. But could you do that same thing for methane mitigation as well? Um, I think there needs to be a marketplace that develops, but I don't think the oil companies will lead with that. Yeah. Because it's just pointing the finger back at they might have a problem and they don't, no one wants to say, hey, we're the biggest methane leak on the planet. Come look at us. I mean, no one wants to do it. Yeah. In fact, 
I've looked at, I've invested in quite a few methane um, uh, leak companies and they have really struggled. That's where I've gotten most of my knowledge is not only looking at technology, but having invested and listening to how hard it is for the, them to get their foot in the door. No one wants to address the issue. That's super interesting because you talk to companies like Diamondback, Devon. I mean, they're all pushing extremely hard on methane mitigation. You look at Diamondback, I mean, they're taking methane emissions to zero on a lot of their, on, on their pads and their assets. And even from like, you could even back out the climate change portion of it. I mean, you think EMPs would be incentivized to do this because you're literally leaking it's off a value your product, yeah, you're, right? No, absolutely. You're leaking your product into the atmosphere. You want to capture No, it's an that, incredibly right? So, right thing to do, but yeah. th that kind of well, brings me back to, I, I don't know Richard Dealey, so he can come on the show and let's meet him. But when CEOs transitions going back to Pioneer, like Sheffield was literally a pioneer. What is this new CEO? What what sort of like a lot of times I think about, well, he's a lifer and, you know, not not, you know, when we see CEO changes, a lot of times it's like uh, more of the same. Mm -hmm. Nothing new. I think that's in, in methane mitigation going kind of switching to topics quickly. A lot of it is the leadership not wanting to address it. There's bigger fish to fry, if you will. Mm -hmm. Direct air capture is an incredibly bright, shiny object mm -hmm. that everyone loves to look at. And it's ridiculous technology. I have yet to see a technology that truly impresses me about how much energy it requires to capture air to give you um, CO2 reduction. It mm -hmm. almost doesn't make sense. It's sort of like back in the algae days where the one question that no one could answer is, wait a minute. For algae to produce energy and oil, how much land do you need to do that? And people are like, oh, don't worry about I that. Mean, that's what we're finding out right now with ethanol. I mean, getting the hard facts yeah. on that it just with the amount of land and water and other resources, it ends up being worse. Does it does it affect the local vegetation since you're sucking the CO2? So that's away my question. From the I asked that question the Another other day. great question. I asked that question the other day because I want to I want to see some real studies on that. Is like, hey, yeah, it's cool to have direct air capture out in West Texas, there's no plants. Or, you know, they're putting one down on King Ranch, which also just a lot of mm -hmm. uh, tumbleweeds, mesquite. But you start putting these places in other areas where there is vegetation, what happens when you suck all the CO2 out of the atmosphere from around those places? Do you starve out local vegetation and end up having second negative second-order effects? And I have no idea. I'm like legit, genuine, genuinely asking that. Like I could sound like a complete dumbass asking that question. But no, that's a great question. No one's been, I mean, I don't think it's been answered. And and let's go back to another one. If you think about the those that invest in these technologies, so the, the venture capital people, not the, not the funds like lower carbon ventures, but like the CVCs of the world yeah. and their executives above them. What technology would you rather talk about when you've made an investment? Hey, I just invested in a direct air capture. That puts you on the radar of like yeah. super status. Yeah. Oh, we just invested in a methane emissions technology. No one cares. Yeah. It's oh, not 100%. something you want to yeah. talk about. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, well, you should be doing that. But, right? but methane mitigation is really your license to operate, which is fundamental. And so companies like Diamondback and I think, uh, EQT as well. I've talked mm -hmm. about what they're doing proactively. Yeah, that is a that is an addressable thing. F forget about the emissions part of it. It is a capture of a value product, although it's also more impactful because methane is twenty times the heat trapping dynamic 40, of CO two or forty. It's yeah. it's a big. And I think it's it'll a big have, multiple. It, yeah. it'll 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 uh, show up what, in shareholder returns. By the way, what what what. I think direct air capture is going to show as well, you know, with this uncertain returns profile is we've seen the majors in particular BP and to a lesser extent shell tap the brakes a little bit about um, their transition related investments. It's because of the opaqueness or the ambiguity around what the returns Absolutely. are going to do. And you've seen how the market has treated that, right? So I think direct air capture, if we start talking about, you know, putting billions of dollars into steel and concrete and whatever else these facilities need to do. I don't know what the cost structure looks like. What is that going to do to your overall returns profile? If yeah. you've got a significant amount of your capital tied up in 
And we've looked at direct air capture. When, when I'm not I've saying at, it's not the right thing to do. I just don't know. When yeah. I've looked at carbon capture technologies to invest in, we always try to calculate what do we think the carbon price needs to be for this to break even, and the number is just not even close to. We're not even close to that. It's got to be interesting from an investor perspective. If you know, you look at investing in oxy. How do you value them now? Are they an oil and gas company? Or are you mm. taking a big bet on? Oh, they become a carbon capture company. No, I think Oxy is already one of the biggest operators of CO2 uh, floods, but it's like, how do you adjust for that, that risk? And Hey, does this work or does this not work? Because I mean, you look at it and it's very premature technology. Right. And so it's almost like you have this like fundamental technology risk of what if this flops? Go, go, have you ever seen a direct air capture machine? It's they're gigantic. I've never seen one. And you sort of just scratch your head going, how does this mathematically work? Yeah. It's interesting, but um, I always kind of wonder for oxy. If you look at like uh, dehumidifiers, like you put one in a room and it sucks in this air and you know, you strip out all the water. It's kind of the same. (laughs) same I had supposedly asthma growing up. And so I always slept with a dehumidifier in my room. Oh yeah. And then I realized my parents smoked. And then once, <laughs> once I, that's once why I, I got the asthma. <laughs> once I went out to college, like all that cleared up. I'm yeah. not sure why. I, I didn't know you grew up next door to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and one thing we do know about all of these technologies at scale is they require a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah, <laughs> a tremendous, a amount. lot of energy. Yeah. So, yeah, the, um, you know, I'd have to look at. D, we have one in the office and it's kind of crazy, man. It fills up the entire, like, it's probably like two gallons, fills that up every day of water. And I could go see what the electricity usage is on it. We could run a meter on it, but, you know, started looking at the same concepts. Like, do people care if there's a power, you know, if there's a huge power demand needed to strip CO2 out of like, oh, well, it's being powered by windmills and uh, solar. So who cares how much electricity it uses? Mm. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But well, we, we talked last week about AI, the, the, the amount of electricity used by d- all the data centers in the world with AI coming, it's going to double it. Oh yeah. So I was, I just, Oracle did this event with NVIDIA um, back on Thursday or Friday and asked me to come speak at it. And I sat there. Yeah, and I, I thought I was going to be invited. And then, and then Oracle called me after the fact and said, we didn't need you, bro. <laughs> That's right. You weren't supposed to be there with me. You ditched me on that. Thanks, uh, Oracle. But, you know, Assholes. I'm talking, like, I was watching NVIDIA's presentation and, like, you just tell, like, I mean, there's sensational demand for GPUs and servers and, and cloud computing with the rise of AI. And, you know, you think about it both from a hardware perspective and then a power uh, perspective. I mean, it's massive demand. So, yeah, those numbers don't surprise me. At yeah, all. estimation and prediction are significantly more energy intensive than uh, power intensive than calculation. CPU yeah. to GPU, it's... It's pretty amazing. By the way, I asked ChatGPT to write a song for me in the same spirit as George Strait's The Chair. And within literally 30 seconds, it came back and I was like, damn, that's pretty good. So <laughs> let's, I, I've been, I'm thinking about becoming a songwriter. And I know you are, <laughs> but but I just chat GPT songs and I go to just live in Nashville and I could be like, that's all think takes, about that dude. business we could make. That's all it takes. All we need is one hit, bro. So there's uh That's all it takes. Mark, I'm you in? in? I'm in. Not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I've been playing with um agents and there's this thing called Auto GPT. And essentially you run you run a little bit of Python code and you can run this AI agent and you can say, Hey, I want to create a app that finds me the lowest gas price in Houston. And it will sit there and you don't have to keep prompting it. It will go through a sequential order of prompts itself and you can allow it to click through things. So it'll tell you, hey, I'm going to this website. I found this. Couldn't find this. I'm going over this website and it'll just auto run itself until it's built you that thing. And there's this version. It's called uh, um, Autonomous. And next to it, it's got a skull emoji and says, run this at your own risk. 
Um, <laughs> this runs 24 seven. It may take actions that you don't authorize and no one really knows what it does, but imagine you give this thing authorization to have access to your funds, to your credit card, you give it password so it can go click around on things. And then it just runs 24 seven on your machine. And like, who even knows what it's doing? It's coming up with new shit, uh, to do on its own. <laughs> and so, um, well, if we could only figure AI out kind of how getting, to find someone else's credit card number, that would be helpful. It, I wouldn't put it past it. AI is kind of getting out of control now. So, well, um, and just to segue, we'll go back to energy news, but China GPT. So Chinese tech companies like Baidu and Alibaba are racing to build a government approved versions of AI bots like ChatGPT, but they'll need to uphold strict censorship rules laid out this month. So China's on the bandwagon. Yeah. The, um, you know, what's crazy is TikTok. TikTok's algorithm is so fucking insane how good it is. I mean, they are leagues ahead of Facebook, Google. Um, I'll give you an example. There's this uh, comedian that's blowing up. His name's Matt Reif, I believe. And he's so funny. And he does this comedy skit the other day. And there's this, uh, there's this cougar out in the audience. I mean, she's, she's a babe. And he starts doing some crowd work with her and she's like, oh, you should see my daughter. And so he sees a picture of her daughter and then he FaceTimes her daughter in front of the uh -huh. crowd. It becomes this whole skit. Super funny. Well, I'm watching that on TikTok. The next day, that lady out in the crowd pops up on my TikTok, like her TikTok in the feed did. And then I watch her video. And then the next day, her daughter popped up. I'm like, that's how good TikTok is, is like, it'll go find parts of videos and then start pushing them. I mean, the metadata people, is so. just so valuable. It's crazy. If you know so how to leverage it. I imagine that um, China is already very advanced when it comes to these algorithms and neural networks. So I find it interesting that they're already taking, I mean, we've had a crackdown here in the US where people like Elon want us to take a break and set some regulation for AI. So it doesn't surprise me that- China's That was a great already. interview, by the way. Speaking of from one dangerous country to another, let's talk a little bit about Russia, Mark. What's happening there? Yeah, it was just- From one dangerous country to another. <laughs> yeah, just- Dangerous. <laughs> Whatever that means. A bit, bit of an update on sanctions. Doomberg put a, put a piece out over the weekend called the Peter Principle, um, really just assessing what has happened relative to the West's sanctions on- Russian crude exports. And as always, there's unintended consequences and things backfire. So the back door in this case, and I didn't really know the numbers, the back door in this case is really uh, displacement of OPEC crude imported into India by Russian crude, deeply discounted Russian crude, which is then refined into distillator diesel and gasoline. And lo and behold, things like 40% of recent region imports into New York are those Indian refined products displacing other mm -hmm. refined products. So Russian barrels and molecules are ultimately finding their way into- you Go back, before y'all were on the show, me and Chuck talked about this for about three weeks solid when the war started. It's like, you can sanction all you want, but- Oil's a global market. It finds its way through the system somehow. No, I think in, part of me is I, I think also our people that are running this country know that too. Yeah. It's and, a way to backdoor yeah. and it, yeah. it's the, unfortunate. The, the larger point is price always trumps volume, <clears throat> right? So uh, another indicator of, of, I guess, backfiring is that over this period, Russia has generated a trade surplus, surplus, which is equivalent to 18% of its GDP. So that's, you know, kind of a huge yeah. positive. It's Meanwhile, we respond after the sanctions um, don't do what what's intended or prices remain sub stubbornly high, which is a political yeah. uh, hot potato, uh, things like draining the SPR. Yeah. Well, frame so, this for me, Mark. I feel um, like we get beat. 40 chess politically all the time by China and Russia. But. Absolutely. And what's interesting is, and I, like, I don't have last year's data, but I have two years of, of data. Texas is still a larger economy than Russia. Yeah. But we seem to talk about Russia all the time. Yeah. Why don't we as Texans invade somebody? I mean, I don't really want Mexico because that's like, I don't think we can beat the cartels. Yeah. We, uh, well, you have a presidential candidate who's out there talking about 
that very thing in terms of response to the cartels and fentanyl in general. And, and Let's invade Oklahoma. Bring them. We'll I think we should take with, at least Oklahoma and New Mexico. We're going to liberate Oklahoma with a good barbecue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want Louisiana, but but they do have good food. They do. Though. You want Louisiana. Should we take Louisiana? I feel like we take Louisiana, Oklahoma. Texas. Arkansas. Yeah, I'd take Arkansas. It's good golf there. Yeah. Oklahoma right. has some good That's golf. It's good duck hunting, That's too. That's start. Yep. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> so it's just, you know, just. We just got put on the just list. Just an assessment of a year end. Um, FBI is going to rate us. Well, they already are on Mark's back door. So. <laughs> and there, you're, the reason, there's a reason Chuck's not here, too. Yeah, Chuck's. <laughs> we can't speak of what happened to Chuck. All right. We got completely off topic, Mark. <laughs> Mark's stunned. <laughs> So, so I saw a tweet by Arjun Murthy yesterday who was talking about a story that was out and it's related to uh, an East Africa pipeline. It's actually called the East Africa crude oil pipeline, which has been in the works for several years, almost a decade. And it's a pipeline that runs from the producing region of Uganda down to the Tanzanian coast. It's yeah. about just a little under 900 miles. They laid the foundation stone in 2017 and not much progress has been made. I think they got to FID a short time ago, but these, these banks who they're looking for two to 3 billion of the 5 billion to fund the project are pulling out or declining to participate in the latest of which was standard charter, which is a mm -hmm. big European bank. Um, What's the reason for pulling out? Another well, the the reason for pulling out was it doesn't align with you know our basically our climate principles. Yeah. There's been a tremendous amount of pushback from various yeah climate and other I mean, environmental related was, groups. Yeah. It, it was just a it's just another very large example of you know what are we doing to the developing world and trying to push for a complete leapfrog over you know the first step. Mm -hmm. to getting out of energy poverty, uh, which, you know, for the rest of the world and the developed world started with the industrialization driven by, by fossil fuels. But, you know, this is becoming a larger problem, not only with the big banks, but also with the, the insurance and the reinsurance companies as well. That's what I just about well. to get as the insurance. Um, yeah. I talked, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say her name, but a lady reached out to me that works for a big um, insurance tech company. Uh, company and within that she's created this insurance product that's uh built for oil and gas companies um and it's kind of like this monitoring product where i don't i don't i'm going to butcher it but i don't want to get into it but her whole thing was is like i don't feel like people are talking about this enough she's like i listened to y'all's podcast and she's like you are completely on point she's like but where they kill this is from the insurance providers. She's like, you can't have, you can't get any assets underwritten if you can't insure them. And right. she's like, and that's right. what's happening right now. And so that seems to be a pretty big. And it's, and it's snowballing. Yeah. Right. So, and if you look at the world population outlook between now and 2050, 1.6 billion people to be added to the, to the world. All of that comes from the developing world. and I think 1.2 billion of that comes from essentially five countries in Africa. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, but, but they've crazy. done, but that, that analysis are, you know, was done pre COVID. You think that's going to change? Which analysis? Of the population growth. I don't think it's going to change. I mean, that's the, those are the underlying just proportions of, and yeah. I, I took a quick I like gander. population at, growth could go one of, like it could go either way. You either have population collapse, which people like Elon. Well, here in the U.S., it's definitely collapsing because of the lack of children. Yeah, no, but and, I mean, that's a, that's a due theme. to infertility, due that's to a lot a, of things. Yeah, but. theme across across the world. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting about Africa too is just the black market there for oil is wild too. Um, like I've seen videos where you just have these, I mean, super makeshift operations where they're siphoning oil off of pipelines like in Nigeria and, and shit like that. And, you know, it's just so much corruption that allows that to happen. That's why I was curious mm -hmm. if 
the banks were pulling out, if it was ESG climate related or if it was just given the market. That, that's, the, that's, that's the majority of the focus of what's going on with things like the East Africa yeah. oil pipeline. So I was looking for a graph. Here it is. <clears throat> so if you look at um, oil demand, and, and this is on a per capita basis, if you take the U.S., Canada, EU, and Japan in terms of barrels per capita per year, it's um, right at 7,000. Mm. Yeah. And if you look at the rest of the world and the, the dots in these bars are pretty big, it's somewhere in the 1,500. Point being is that, you know, to elevate out of energy poverty or get to those rungs of developed world standard of living and GDP is going to require an increase in, in developing world energy consumption going yeah. forward. And when you layer in the fact that a disproportionate amount of the population growth, in fact, all of it is going to, of that 1.6 billion between now and 2050 mm. is going to occur in the developing world, not the developed world. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting intersection. There's one thing I want to talk about before we go on. Mark said I get to do the riff this week, which I'm going to use for our finger of the week. But before we get to Love that, it. Um, I'm sure y'all saw the charts going around. Uh, man, I can't remember the guy's name. I hate that I can't remember his name. Um, it generated the charts, uh, but it was showing California's duck curve yeah. for um, solar um, energy prices. And this thing was going viral. Um, I, I think it's kind of funny that no one thought that was going to happen or be a problem where you overbuild all of this solar and all of a sudden when you're at peak solar during the daytime, there's so much energy on the grid that you have, you were running into negative prices now, right? And there's just no market for it. And one thing I hear all the time is, is when so you transfer- kind of like trying to sell gas at Waha? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's same exact thing, right? Sorry, and, Dan, Morrison. Um, you know, the one thing I hear constantly- on Twitter and in the energy community is we need more transmission. We need more transmission. We need more transmission, but transmission doesn't necessarily solve that problem unless you're just saying, Oh, Hey, we're going to transmit all this power. You know, California is going to power all neighboring States with solar. Um, but it's really a battery storage <clears throat> problem. And Mark, I think he told me something last week about just, on a per minutes basis, you know, we have like enough yeah, the, battery storage, for like the, the, 20 The minutes. residential and non-residential uh, static or fixed uh, battery storage build out will create capacity equivalent to about 24 minutes. It, yeah. It's not just storage for, though. for the U.S. I think one of the things, and I, I, I spent a lot of time talking to executives about this, it's not just storage. With, with the duck curves, uh, originally energy was was produced centrally and then it was sent out to the nodes mm -hmm. today you have energy produced at the nodes and the grid was never designed for you to push energy back yeah and so the the most efficient way to manage that is to produce and distribute locally so there are and europe is a lot further ahead and these uh self-consumption laws but Europe is really trying hard to, how do we, if we have excess capacity, how, do, how does a neighbor take your excess solar and use that energy? Mm -hmm. There's, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a mechanical issue. It's, it's more of a markets issue. Yeah. And figuring out how to settle power locally. There is storage that is needed, no doubt. Yeah. But if you had local lo localities that were able to produce and, 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 uh, and and sell locally that's how it works and there's a cool company that was that's based out of brooklyn that created a little community to do that there are areas around the world trying this especially in europe um in in sweden yeah in norway but that's the biggest issue it's not just the storage but it's like w there is no mechanism and california regulators have talked about this over the last few years they just don't know how to create the market and they don't, the markets is not there yet. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, if you're talking about it on a physics basis, you know, you can talk about storage and transmission, but when you talk about it from a commercialization basis, I think one of the problems is that, um, 
you know, you even see here in Texas, like, hey, if I have solar and battery at my house and I have excess, like I should be able to push it back. But, but CenterPoint will let you do that. Yeah. And that's what you have a lot of um, misaligned incentives to be able to do those things. But when you talk about, you know, distributed energy networks and load balancing, I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, we'd be able to build all of that out right now and be able to manage all of this. So we have excess power over here. We can send it over there, but we're a long ways away from that currently. And you're talking about getting utilities to get on board, which is a pretty burdensome. Uh, so we're, we're seeing a situation with what happens when you have a lot of stranded power. Yeah. So you have this, you have, this is what I think is interesting about it. And we've kind of, we've seen this happen in Texas and in ERCOT, you know, um, when winter storm URI happened, I'm sitting there watching the numbers live. And I remember, I remember wind going out, right. And everyone's shitting on wind. And I remember saying, Hey, natural gas is next worked in the field when it's cold. I know what's happening or what's going to happen. Boom. Natural gas, uh, supply chain goes out. Well, then the whole narrative got changed. They're like, oh, no, natural gas is the reason for power outages in winter storm, Yuri. The problem was is um, nat gas is the only power source that has the ability to ramp up very quickly. Absolutely. And in Texas, what our problem is is that we have built up wind so uh, aggressively, I mean, extremely quick, and capital stops going into backup power generation and – rightfully so because it doesn't become economic this is what you see in california you still have to run that gas backup generation but now your your electricity prices are at zero or negative and so the numbers just don't make sense from the nat gas side but you need them so that you can ramp up during the evening and so that's the problem that i have in the renewable space is everyone talks about renewables are cheaper renewables are cheaper but what it reminds mm -hmm. me of is peak oil and gas shale when we're like, oh, these wells do 40% IRR at half cycle economics. When I learned what half cycle economics were, I'm like, you're backing out your land costs, your GNA facilities. Like, yeah, like everything. Like, yeah, no shit. Everything. No shit is profitable. It's the same thing that's happening over renewables where, and I've talked to people in renewables because they're like, oh, yeah, well, battery's not, it's, that's not the, that's not the asset developers thing. You know, they just worry about building out the solar. But yeah, but me as a citizen, it matters to me what is the cost from end to end, from building the asset to having storage, to having backup power, to putting in new uh, transmission distribution lines. Like that's the that's the conversation that needs to be had is that everything needs to be looked at from end to end. Yeah, it's like you got to put a fancy adjective in front of cost, like levelized. It reminds me of how we used to talk about <laughs> Yeah, crude oil price as well. The normalized crude oil price. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I've learned one thing is like when you start getting into LCOE and normalize, like usually it's a bunch of uh, financial engineering. That and there's stuff left out. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. As you pointed out. That's, well, that's tell me what the natural gas price is today. I don't even know. Didn't even look. Yeah. And the question is from where? Because there is no natural gas price. Yeah. Which hub are you talking about? I mean, we just run off of Henry Hub. So, but, you know, Henry Hub can be $3 and California can be getting wrecked at That's <laughs> right. $8 or $9. So That's right. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, I think that the coolest future of energy is bi-directional um, grids and especially from- Absolutely. Like, you know, Tesla has a deal with uh, PG&E in California. And um, if you have the Tesla- uh, battery wall and you enroll in this it'll say hey um, it's noon we're charging up your batteries and at 6 p.m we're gonna have peak demand and we're gonna pay you for your electricity and it's not very meaningful right now i think they have like 14,000 homes enrolled in it and it'll put out like 15 mm. megawatts but think about that at scale like that's pretty fucking cool um being able to do things like that so, i need to tell you about their retail electricity provider i tried to start um but anyway it was ahead of its time did you I don't think you knew me during Winter Storm Yuri, but I had Gritty, which is the whole. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and were behind, so they were after us. I was getting so many followers on Twitter because I'm live tweeting all of my updates. Dude, I, knew, I mean, their model was different from mine, but they yeah. they well, they got so, wrecked. Yeah, um, Gritty. I'm gonna give a shout out to Gritty because everyone likes to talk shit and shit on Gritty, but from a user experience and customer support perspective, they were super. 
good as a company. I think they just had a really shitty business model because most people don't yeah. understand wholesale. They don't understand. That was the problem. They don't understand the risk. I do. Um, but most people don't. And when you start communicating and it's like, like turn off your electricity now, go get another electricity provider and get a blanket to stay warm. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not the best messaging for most people. So anyways, we should do a whole nother podcast sometime on that topic. Cause I think that it's a, uh, it's a, let's do it. So, all right, let's talk about finger of the week and my, my topic to riff on riff um, of the week, riff of the week. Do we get rid of finger of the week? Is it just riff of the week? No, now? you said not finger oh. of the week. You said riff like, of the week. Did y'all change it? I just, we hadn't seen you in so long. I just wanted you to riff right, on whatever. Here's my, here's my riff. And also my finger of the week is, um, there is this narrative of woke attacks against oil and gas that has just got to the point of being absurd. Um, terms being used like toxic heteromasculinity. And Dude, what a great word though. It man. is. Like, I think it kind of goes hard. I'm like, I embrace that. <laughs> Petromasculinity. <laughs> I'm going to look on that on Twitter and tell you what it Yes. Comes and, you know, s- studies being cited about the um, masculinity from the oil and gas industry to shut down uh, women who are successful, um, you know, fighting for climate and are essentially propagating uh, disinformation around climate change. And the main one on this is uh, it's Greta's successor, uh, Sophia. Kiani. Yeah. And I actually, I would love to do a podcast with her because I actually think that she's smart. I just think that she's extremely misinformed about a lot of things, but I do think that she's, um, you know, I do think that she's um, intelligent. But well, she goes to Stanford. I mean, isn't everyone genius there? <laughs> I'll stay quiet. Um, well, but well. using terms like this, it's just bullshit. It's bullshit. It's virtue signaling. Um, it's not constructive at all for the world's energy crisis or for uh, making a more sustainable um, uh, world. So the um, I think that you know they're just one. They're one move away from making it racist. That's the only is that they're missing in there is that they have, um, you know, it's misogynistic. It's this whole, it's this whole movement uh, propagated by oil and gas. And to kind of add on to this, clean creatives, um, kind of, I've been going at clean creatives uh, for a while now mm-hmm. because during South Southwest they did this uh, ice cream truck and it was. Um, Carbon and Cream, I think was the name of it. And this was like all of their ice creams, like they had one for Shell and it was like all death um, kind of themed. And it was talking about how oil and gas companies were killing the planet. And I laughed at them because the picture that they took for all of the press, they're sitting there and the exhaust tailpipe of the truck is right there by their feet. I'm like, you guys are literally using a gas powered (laughs) food truck and diesel generator to do this. Well, Again, the founder of Clean Creatives, he's also, I believe, the founder of 350.org. Um, he got an article in the New York Times uh, talking about or lobbying for the name natural gas to be changed to methane because <laughs> natural gas is a, um, it's nothing but a marketing campaign from the oil and gas industry to make it seem cleaner. And so I retweeted him and I put out articles. It was like, natural gas is used to differentiate the difference between natural and synthetic gas, which synthetic gas was commercialized before natural gas in the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's where it came from. It's like, it's not some conspiracy for oil and gas to make it. Wildcatters weren't sitting there 150 years ago, like, oh, hey, we should make this natural organic um, so that people accept it. No, it was to differentiate the difference between synthetic. And so anyways, he got in my mentions and, uh, him and I were kind of going back and forth at it. And I just think that these people, um, are extremely misinformed and, uh, spewing a lot of bullshit out there and I've made it my mission to combat that. So, um, I was doing some research for our next country in Europe on their energy profile and, was looking at Italy, but that doesn't. We're gonna we're gonna defer that next discussion or the next country to next week when Chuck's to back. To Chuck, 
but I did come across the term fossil gas in the in the discussion of the generation stack for this particular country, yeah. which was Italy. So yeah, they're fossil gas, uh, fossil methane. That's what they're. That's what they're pushing. Well, let for. me ask you guys a serious question: Are you petromasculine? I honestly don't know what it means, but I like the way it sounds. I kind of, I do too. Like, I don't know what it means, I'm but I'm like, I'm petromasculine. Nobody Hell knows yeah, what it means, I but am. it's provocative. It gets the what are you, going. Mark? Are you petromasculine? <laughs> well, I have a petroleum engineering degree, the root <laughs> word of which is petro. And, <laughs> and you're masculine? And I'm masculine. You don't here's, have the thing, a, here's the thing that I hate about it is um, this is why people, and when I say people, I mean young women like Greta and Sophia are put up on a pedestal is because now it makes it hard to um, attack their ideas. Or you get toxic people out there that you know do attack their looks or the fact that they're female. But the reason that they do this is because they're hard to touch. And so you can't say, hey, I disagree with your ideas. You don't have the credentials. You don't have mm -hmm. the experience. You're not a scientist. You sh you know, you're not um, talking about data and facts. You can't say those things now without being labeled a petro masculinist that or mass pe, petro misogynistic uh person that's spreading disinformation about climate like that's how they're that's what they want to do i, I want to yeah. tie this back to and that's not what they want to do they are doing it they're saying those things on twitter so this is a another of the almost infinite number of examples in in the media and social media today of this huge distraction the West has been on about the culture wars, right? And, you know, the Ugandan pipeline is another example. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to step in, if it's not in the East Africa crude oil pipeline, but someone is going to step in and make sure those profitable and strategic investments get made, those projects get done, mm -hmm. the relationships uh, you know, the, the, the balance of power, if you will, changes and those, and, and those are our strategic adver adversaries, as I think I said last week, are more than happy for us to continue to be distracted Absolutely, with all of the culture war and the rhetoric. And I mean, why do you think China, China has been colonizing Africa? I mean, the adults financing. are making long-term decisions and the children keep fighting over terminology six, it, you know, and it yeah. really is what's happening. If you wanted to have just an endless stream of protest to make, you know, go to China and set up at all of these new coal-fired coal power generation facilities they're bringing online. Mm -hmm. What you about know, all the plastic waste coming out of China into the oceans? I mean, like it's endless. Yeah, I, I, I've always naively believed that the best route would be to depoliticize the the rhetoric and the terminology that we use to focus on pollution, right? It's actually like I was talking about that. Because, um, you know, I made this tweet, like, what was the tweet? Oh, I said climate change isn't even in the top three threats to human existence right now. It's nuclear war, viral pandemic, and artificial intelligence. And I can actually argue that climate change doesn't even make the top five. Um, but someone um, had commented what did you just say? I lost my <laughs> I lost my train of thought. It's whatever you said I was going towards. Pollution. Pollution, yeah. Um, that's their thing was is plastic pollution is much more of a crisis than it's horrible climate is right now. And I was like, how do we just kind of let plastic not just plastic waste, but plastic consumption? I mean, I was at H E B a while back and like I'm not a person to like get triggered or offended, but I'm walking in the in the fruit aisle and they had a little chunk of watermelon. I'm not talking a whole slice. I'm not talking a bunch of chunks. One chunk of watermelon that you could buy and it's in a hard plastic yeah. oh, case. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing with single Because the younger generation so, wants everything to be easy and grab and go. Yeah. I mean, it. it's convenience. We're sacrificing for we just, convenience. Yeah. Well, we, and that famous photo you see of the plastic island in how it's segmented into who contributes, which countries mm -hmm. contribute most. And the largest is the Philippines. And you don't see many, if any, quote unquote, rich countries as the major offenders for the ocean yeah. plastic pollution. Well, to your point, that is a tangible, addressable pollution problem that 
we can go and commit resources and time and solve it to helping yep. mitigate to solve it right yeah and and provide the resources and the and the funding to do that i mean how is all this plastic ending up well it's you know poor communities who you know throw trash in the river or you know it's just their focus is on their well-being and survival day to day. Not yeah, you know, one question I asked on Twitter, I followed that up with, and we'll put in the show here in a second. But one question I asked was, okay, assuming that we figure out um, human CO2 emissions and we develop the technology to do that, let's just make the assumption that we do. Um, we know for a fact through documentation that we've had at least five ice ages pre-human existence and so climate change is a thing that happens naturally um do we think that we have the ability to steer climate in the future outside of man-made co2 emissions and i think that we're extremely arrogant to think that we do um and i think that's even just from a technological perspective but then you look from a political perspective like mm. right now i bet russia would love some global warming because they're unlocking a ton of land and resources that weren't oh, easily accessible. Yeah. You know, so more. now you have misaligned incentives between people, different Absolutely. governments and countries around the world of, Hey, what is optimal client, uh, climate climate. And so anyways, I just think that we need to have real discussions about, you know, what we can, what we can't solve. And I always try to focus on the things that you can directly solve an impact and plastic pollution and consumption is one of those things. I mean, we do some amazing things with computer simulation and modeling, but these predictions are modeling outcomes, right? For models that are inherently limited and have varying degrees, in some cases, significant amounts of error. Speaking as an old reservoir engineer who used to do some simulation, if you can't get your model to history match, yeah. how reliable is it for a prediction, right? Yeah. And so natural systems are inherently complex. They're three-dimensional. They're uh, and you can't isolate dynamic. There's a lot of randomness in, you know, how do you how do you model that? I, I think one of the best comparisons that I've seen are just the just the discussion on the modeling front is we don't have the computing power to and the speed to get to an appropriate <clears throat> simulation of marine and cloud layers in these three-dimensional grids down to a resolution that you we know, can make decisions based on. Well, you can rely more that there's not just huge error. Mm. Yeah. And that's going from a hundred on the surface area part of it, going from a hundred square kilometers to 10. So an order of magnitude reduction, which creates a lot more, calculations yeah. right those calculations if we had the capacity to do that uh with computing we have today it would take 100 years to run Jeez. simulation yeah run. not so, saying we're, we're not going to get there but let me tell you my other three natural threats before before we get off one uh i was going to write these in there but i don't really care to debate on other things that might be more detrimental to humans uh, but i was going to put solar an emp from a solar flare and it was funny because as I typed that out, we had a solar flare hit uh, Earth last week and it caused us to be able to see the Northern Lights all the way down into the southern part of the United States. I'm like, those happen all the time. You get one that's bad enough. Yeah. I mean, it can take out every electronic, the grid, and boom. I don't think that we fare very well from that. Second one, asteroid. Um, we like to pretend that we can't just get hit with a fucking asteroid at any minute and that happens. No, we just like, send oil and gas guys up to destroy it, <laughs> right? We need a little bit of toxic petromasculinity <laughs> to go solve that problem. <laughs> and the uh, the third one is we're way overdue for the poles to flip. And that scares the shit out of me too. You know, that when they, they say when the poles flip, that happens in a matter of weeks or months. And you want to talk about potential climate. We need a little more electric cars because then you'll get the – the, you'll get the <laughs> get, compass to get fly. a little bit yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need ma more magnets that's there you go we're gonna do some we're doing it i don't know if that's geoengineering or what that is but we'll we'll make it happen it's common so. sense so all this, right is this our first double album for bda 
double album. Yeah. It's, <laughs> what's what's I'm not getting the reference. We've been here for a while. Oh, it's a long show. I'm not even. I'm just glad to be back. I'm not even. Hey, we're glad to have you, man. <laughs> All right, we will end it on that note, though. So, if you enjoyed this week's show, uh, share it with a friend. Share it online on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and we will catch y'all next week.